Good morning, everybody. A brief scripture that I want to read is found in the Old Testament, the book of Ecclesiastes, that follows Proverbs, the third chapter. After the fairly familiar first nine or ten verses regarding time. There's a time to give birth, a time to die, time for everything under heaven. We look at verse 11. This is the New American Standard Bible I'm reading from. He, that's God, has made everything appropriate in its time. The footnote for the word appropriate is beautiful, right, good. He's made everything beautiful or right or proper, good in its time. He has also set eternity in their heart. That's the humans. And this also says, yet so that man will not find out the work which God has done from the beginning even to the end. Another footnote, and there are other translations, seem to be a better translation than this. He's also set eternity in their heart, without which man will not find out the work which God has done from the beginning even to the end. The phrase there in that 11th verse, he has set eternity in their hearts, our hearts. Now, I admit right up front, eternity is a subject I can't grasp, I can't explain, you can't grasp, you can't understand it, so it is not my fault. (laughs) Eternity, we can't get a hold of. All we know is time, but time itself is a creation. It's temporary. God, in fact, in creation, put in place methods by which we measure time. He made the stars, the moon, the sun. He made the earth turn on its axis. He makes the earth also revolve precisely around the sun. All of those things that he built into creation were for measuring time which prior to creation time had not existed. God created the measurement of time. And at the end of this world's life. 
the Bible's very clear. It says that a loud voice will proclaim the coming of the Lord, and it says, and time shall be no more. So time's temporary. That's very hard for us to get a hold of. In fact, the irony is, in our feeble attempts to try to explain how long eternity is, we have to resort to time. We can't think without the concept of time. But eternity is outside of time. It's no time. It's beyond time. There are a couple of ways for us to look at eternity. One, a simple definition of eternity is endless duration. Endlessness. Endlessness itself is a term that comes out of time. There's two kinds of endless duration. And only God has these two times, two divisions. It's endless duration in the sense of no beginning. And it's endless duration in the sense of no ending. God alone then is eternal. He had no beginning. God has always been. Never a time when he wasn't. And he always will be. The psalmist said, from everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. Now, God created us in his image, in likeness. We have characteristics that God has. Specifically, at least the three major ones are feelings. God has feelings. He gave us feelings. Two, reasoning capacity. God thinks. He's logical. And God gave us the capacity to think. Otherwise, God couldn't even communicate with us. We think He made us to think like He thinks. The third thing, He made us like Himself with the capacity, the power, awesome power, to choose, to will. It's called volition. We have then those three what are called natural attributes that God has. He made us, and He made us not only feeling, thinking, willing beings, but He also made us eternal. 
when he formed Adam of the dust of the ground, it says he breathed, it only says this of Adam, not of the animals, not of anything else. He breathed into his nostrils the breath of lives. It's plural. He didn't say that about any other being he created. That's what sets us apart from every other being. Eternity. We have God's breath. God's life in us. Now all life, even for animals, comes from God. That's a biological life. We not only have that kind of life, but in addition, and only humans, have the breath of God in us. Which means we are eternal spirits. Now here's the difference between us and God. We have a beginning. He didn't. But as he has no end, neither will we. We live forever. No end. We can't we can't grasp that. And again, we almost have to resort to time illustrations to try to illustrate eternity. We sing Amazing Grace, <clears throat> the last verse of Amazing Grace. When we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun. Now this line. We've no less days to sing his praise than when we'd first begun. That's eternity. Even though 10,000 year, years, and there's time, will have passed, there's no less. We are bound then each of us, every one of us today, are headed for eternity. Now, I don't want to get ahead of myself here, <clears throat> but we are initially, we were in, created in a body that had access to a tree, the tree of life, to renew the physical aspect of our creation. That access to that tree is what perpetuated our physical lives. So we as eternal spirits, never to die, never to cease to exist, were given bodies in which to live that as long as we had access to the tree of life, we continued to physically exist and live. God told Adam and Eve, if you rebel against me and you disobey me, you'll sever yourself from me. You'll die spiritually spiritually 
And when he said that to them, this is exactly the wording. He said, dying, you will die. Rebellion against God, severing me from his favor and presence, brings instant spiritual alienation from God. It's called death throughout scripture. But it doesn't mean we cease to be. We continue to exist because we're eternal spirits. But now we live in a state of separation and hostility to God. But we're still, our spirit will live. The second thing God did when they disobeyed him was cut off access to the tree of life. It said he stationed an angel with a flaming sword to guard the tree of life in the entrance to the garden to prevent Adam and Eve from access to that tree. And in the council of heaven, God is spoken of as it said, we, there's the Trinity. But in the counsel of God, there's this statement. Now that they know sin and have knowledge of sin, if they stretch forth their hand and eat of the tree of life, and then in Genesis 3, there's just a long hyphen. It's unspeakable. If this now fallen, rebellious, wicked pair have access to that tree and live forever, we can't have that. And so God said, we're going to put an angel at the entrance to the garden and cut off their access and they'll die. They died the day, and the scripture says, in the day you eat thereof, you'll die of this forbidden tree. You'll die. So they died spiritually. And then it took them centuries before they died physically. So when God said, dying you'll die, he was talking about two different kinds of deaths of different duration. So here's where we are today. It explains a lot that I probably can't explain and don't necessarily have the time to. But we now are still eternal, never dying spirits. But we live in a crumbling, decaying, dying body. I, Friday, this Friday, this past Friday, in Oregon City, Oregon, and in Anderson, Indiana, two people that I pastored in different pastorates 
had, they had funerals for them. And having known them a long time, of course, people called me and told me and so forth. And I knew them very well. And it really confronted me as I got some pictures, um, some video, you know, from the funeral and the videos that are made of the person that passed away. And you look at people who, I look at them and I think, my goodness, I don't even hardly recognize them. Now, I know they can recognize me because I have changed. They sure have. Now, why that contradiction? Why do I look at them and say, and, and it's almost assumed, oh, I am changed. But man, their hair's white, or they haven't got any left, or whatever the case might be. Why do we think like that? Because the real me in here is timeless. I'm not, I'm not passing away. It's just the house I live in is passing away. The roof is caving in. The walls, the ceiling sag. The walls are getting weak. The foundation's cracked. But the inhabitant, the true inhabitant of that house is living forever. And we don't feel older. We don't feel older. We think, I can still do the same things. And then we're, we're kind of surprised, we're disappointed that we can't. And we'll often try to do things that we are used to doing at the same speed that we were used to doing them. And then we can't figure out why we've got to go to physical therapy for three weeks. We are a living contradiction. I am a spirit come from God. Ecclesiastes also says, and returning to God. We will finally discover that the house we live in is going to have to be vacated because it's condemned. But I don't stop existing. I return, my spirit returns to God who gave it. And for what purpose? Hebrews says, it's appointed unto mankind once to die. And after that, the judgment. All of that then brings us to a second kind of division of eternity. Eternity is both from everlasting to everlasting. So it's endless duration both ways for God and endless duration one direction for us. That is no end. We have a beginning. But this time here Somehow only God can help us get a hold of this. But we're going to spend eternity either with God 
or banished from God forever. Again, the difficulty is I can't I can't comprehend forever. And either the bliss of heaven, the torment of hell, it's hard for it to register with us because we can't grasp eternity. Jesus repeatedly spoke in graphic terms about eternity. And he talked about eternal life, living with me and my Father in heaven. I go to prepare a place for you that you may, where I am, you may be. Then he also says, Matthew, when in his discourse 24 and 25 on end times and the disciples that ask him, what happens to everything? When's the end of the world going to be? And Jesus said, at the end, everyone who's ever lived will be, be gathered before me. And he says, as a shepherd separates sheep from the goats, the believers, the unbelievers, will be separated. He said the ones will enter into the joy of heaven. And the others, he said, shall depart into everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Everlasting. I can't grasp that. But it never ends. It never ends. The bliss, the joy, the peace of heaven and the misery, unspeakable misery of hell is forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever. I hope that we can grasp then why God is so a number of things. One, why God is so desperate, so in earnest that we forsake sin, walk with God. And as Paul said, Look not at that which can be seen, because that which can be seen is temporal. But look, he said, at what we can't see, because that's eternal. I can't see eternity, but it's real. And my spirit and your spirit will live forever. Someplace. So there's the second division, really, of eternity. It's a division of quality. It's different states, conditions in which we will experience eternity. 
Jesus defined eternal life. And here, here's again where life and the second death are not to be looked at in terms of time. But God, to communicate with us, has no other way but to descend down to our time and space limitations and talk to us. Otherwise, He knows we can't comprehend what He's trying to say to us. But He tells us, He tells us that we we will live either he, he qualifies eternal life not as a length of time but as a quality of life. People talk about e- eternal life. Well, yes, I know that means forever but Jesus didn't emphasize the forever as much as he emphasized. He said this is eternal life in John 17. This is eternal life that you know him, the Father, and that you know the Father, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom he has sent. So heaven is knowing God, and eternal life that we enjoy here as Christians is knowing God, the only true God, and Jesus, whom he sent. When we then, and here's another distinction, when as humans we trust in Jesus, turn from sin, swear allegiance to him, bow the knee to him, serve him, walk with him, we begin experiencing, while we're still in a dying tent, limited by time, we step into a quality of life called eternal life. That then we have, there is an ancient hymn, I don't know if any of us have ever sung it, um, but it talks about having mystic, meaning it's a mystery, mystic sweet communion with those whose rest is one. They're they're safe there. We aren't yet. But we have a communion on earth in this passing away life that is eternal. We wait for Jesus from the heavens. We live then almost shackled, chained to time and a decaying world while we look while we look out into something that'll never end, eternity. No one ever thinks I don't believe. No one ever sits around and tries to grasp eternity without God. I think we, I've never met anybody that says, you know, I was thinking the other day about 
banished from God forever. I've never had anybody tell me that. I'm sure God makes us think of that once in a while. But we only think of an afterlife that is pleasant. For the Christian, it's not fake, it's not myths, it's real. And every once in a while, when we pray, when we read God's Word as we walk through life, it's like God, and I don't know if this is a good description or not, but it's like God just gives a little bit of a crack, a little opening in the drapes of heaven. And he ministers to our heart. And we know this is real. And I am determined to fight the good fight, resist temptation, fight the devil in order, as John Wesley put it, land safe on that happy shore. That's eternity. A small proof, further proof, that we as human beings have instilled in us, like this verse says, He has put eternity in our hearts. We have those flashes of insight that there's something more. Think about this. I do not know. Now obviously I'm not the world's greatest scholar. But I've read and loved to read history. I've never heard or read ever. Of a tribe, a clan, a race, an ethnic group. A. That did not have a very clear to them, maybe a totally erroneous, but very clear concept that this world's not it. That we live beyond here. In fact, that's called one of the five major arguments philosophically, which I don't know how good they really are, but the five proofs of God. One of them is the universal moral nature of all humans. All humans, even though it, it, the pictures are fouled up and their thinking is sometimes wacky, there's a dim concept of right and wrong, of punishment and rewards, and everyone has a concept that this world, this life, is not the end. The happy hunting grounds. Look at the archaeology in the ancient Egyptian pyramids. You go into those rooms and everything there that is left there is for the use of that person in the next life. Whatever bizarre notion they may have of the next life. It's assumed because God's put it in our hearts. It's assumed that there's life after this life. God put that in our hearts as a 
homing device to return to Him, to look to Him. He put it in here so that we would search. And then He's given us a book. He's given us the Holy Spirit. He's given us Jesus Christ in the flesh. All to answer the questions that He planted in our hearts. No one seeks God of their own accord. No one ever initiates a search for God. God is the one who plants the thought in our minds. He's the one who calls us. Jesus said, no one can come to the Father but through me, and no one can come unless he's drawn. God draws us, tugs at our hearts. There's that sense that this whole world, from time to time, individuals think about that. You know when we think about that often? In stillness. That's why the devil, that's why the devil is the chief noisemaker and turns up the decibels. The world's lifestyle is all clap, trap, loud, flashing lights, all kinds of just nothing, worthless stuff. Social media, it absolutely rivets our attention to things that never matter. And we spend our whole lives on things that don't matter. And the one thing that does, which is knowing God, the true God, and Jesus Christ, whom he has sent. We haven't got time for that. See how cunning, I wouldn't use the word wise, see how cunning the enemy is? I remember a guy telling me that he couldn't come to church. It was a neighbor, my first church. And I talked to him about coming to church. And he said, well, <clears throat> i got to take care of my orchard. Well, he lived on a city lot. Okay? He had th maybe three or so of the scrawniest looking apple trees I'd ever seen in my life. And, you know, I, I, I looked at him and I said, world. And he said, well, on top of that, I got my cats. I got to take care of my cats. I could keep, I could bore you to death with stories I've heard. I knew a guy too. Poured his life in competition and some kind of dancing or whatever on 
roller skates. I mean, really, you're a human being headed for eternity, either God or without God, and you're in to figuring out how to tie little wheels to the bottom of your shoes so you can go backwards. And there's, there's an eternity out here and a judgment awaiting me. And that's the kind of stuff that the devil has us off on. And you're sitting here. I just ordered at Subway uh, with cucumbers on it. Do you understand me? We've lost our minds. And along with it, our souls. The Bible uses the term sober. King James often. Be sober-minded. It means be thinking of those, the things that matter and not the things that will all pass away. Let me ask you this then. As of right now, and the Holy Spirit is very, very faithful, He cannot ever be guilty of malpractice of His office. The Holy Spirit is very faithful to tell us moment by moment which eternity we're headed for. The one He fills our hearts with assurance and peace and His favor uh, the sense at uh, the thought of facing him is one of no fear. John said, if we love him, we don't have any fear about judgment. Fear has torment, he said. Yes, we're troubled. If our hearts are troubled, God is telling us, if you were to appear before me today, you'd be in trouble. You don't have the assurance of an eternity with the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and all the saints that have gone before. That's a question that in the deep quiet of your hearts by the aid of the Holy Spirit we have to answer. And He's faithful to press that question onto us. What's your answer? Let's bow our heads. We'll just have a moment of quietness. And I think for us to resolve in our own hearts, Lord, I'm going to listen to your voice. I want you to talk to me. I want you to clear out any cobwebs, chase away any fog. I want to know clearly where I'm at with you. And I want to stay in your favor forever. Father in heaven, I hesitate this morning to pray 
because I don't want to interrupt the work that you're doing in the hearts of the people that are listening to this message. But I will pray this, Lord. Help us today to not just get up and go back into the busyness of the world, but as we do, maybe keep our eyes focused on you. And tonight when we lay our head on the pillow in the dark of our rooms, I pray that you would confirm these things that you're speaking to us about now to our hearts. And whatever it is you have to say, may we be obedient to respond to you in a manner that brings you glory and in a manner that you want us to because you've given everything we need for redemption so that we can spend eternity with you. I want to praise you and thank you for that and commit each person here, including myself, to you today to minister to our hearts as you see fit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.